Well, I was reflecting back, um, 1969, in the summer, and I was sitting with my family. It was about 10 o'clock at night, um, New York time, up at Word of Life Island. I was with my family. We were watching a television and uh, watching a phenomenal event as uh, Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. And um, little did I realize that several years later, uh, I would have the opportunity of meeting Charlie Duke, who was at that time sitting at command center, making some incredible decisions in the last moment before they sat down on the moon, uh, some moments of silence in terms of what was going to happen because he had the incredible responsibility of aborting that, that mission. But it succeeded. And, um, and then, of course, about 10 years ago, met Charlie, who was up here uh, as a part of our men's group. And of course, in between time, uh, if you've seen Apollo 13, he's the guy that got the measles, kind of messed things up a little bit on that particular mission. And then uh, later on Apollo 16, uh, he was one of the men that stepped on the moon and spent 72 hours um, exploring that incredible experience. And um, uh, it's been really great to get to know Charlie. During those days, Charlie would say that um, his God basically was what he was doing and achieving in the space program. His marriage was falling apart, was a mess. He wasn't a believer. Uh, his wife wasn't, but then became a believer. And miraculous things began to happen. And uh, as Charlie came to Christ, I remember Charlie, you said, uh, somehow it's in my mind the first time I heard you speak, you know, prior to you coming to know Jesus, you were just uh, one of these tough guys, uh, never cried, and then you met the Lord and you've been crying ever since. <laughs> and one little anecdote before Charlie comes, um, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Charlie on my daily radio program, Renewal Radio. We did it up here, I think it was at Rod Miller's house. And uh, as I was going in, there was some guy here, Beaver Creek, that uh, has a hot air balloon operation. And he knew Charlie was here, and he knew he was inside the house. And he stopped me, and he said, hey, here I am, gave him his card. And he said, I'd love to meet Charlie. And in fact, if, if, if I have a chance to meet him, uh, I'll give him a hot air balloon trip all over the Rocky Mountains. And so I walked in kind of naively and say, Charlie, there's a guy who wants to meet you, and he'd love to give you a hot air balloon uh, trip up over the mountains. No charge, just take you up. And Charlie looked at me, deadpan. He said, I wouldn't be caught dead in a hot air balloon. And I said, you're serious. He said, I'm absolutely serious. There are too many things that can go wrong. Charlie Duke. Let's welcome Charlie.
Thanks, Gene. Well, guys, it's good to be here uh, again with you. Uh, I don't know how many times, maybe 10 years ago I was here first time and got to share my uh, story. And uh, today I want to uh, follow on along what uh, Dick said, uh, started out about our responsibilities and uh, our uh, uh, call that the Lord gives us, what our ministry is. I'm not going to talk about the moon this morning, so if you want to know about the moon, if you just grab me at you know, dinner or something like that, I'll be happy to share that part of my life with you. But uh, it was an exciting adventure. Uh, fill you in uh, a little bit about my background. I was, grew up in South Carolina, uh, decided when I was in the 10th grade I wanted to serve my country, uh, went to the Naval Academy, uh, and uh, graduated in 1957. Uh, back then, you could go in the Air Force from the Naval Academy. There wasn't an Air Force Academy. Dick was, uh, you were 59, right? First class? Uh, no, no. I, I just worked there. I wasn't smart enough to get in. Oh, you weren't. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the Air Force Academy, first class was 1959. Uh, they'd let uh, West Point and Annapolis volunteer for the Air Force uh, uh, if you wanted to from uh, the Naval Academy. So I'd fallen in love with airplanes at the Naval Academy. And so I went for my physical, and uh, the, uh, the doctor at the Naval Academy in my senior year uh, looked at me, and he said, well, Midshipman Duke, you have astigmatism in your right eye, and you don't qualify for naval, avi- naval aviation, but the Air Force will take you. So, <laughs> so uh, and I went to the Air Force. Uh, I was a fighter pilot, got a master's degree at MIT, uh, about the time uh, Apollo was starting out, uh, and this was uh, 1962, uh, graduated 64. Now I had a master's degree in engineering. They would send me some engineering school uh, job. And I said, "Man, I got to get back to the cockpit." And so I said, "How can I get to the cockpit?" So I said, "Test pilot school." So I volunteered for test pilot school. Got selected and uh, graduated in the summer of 65. And the very next month. NASA put out a call for more astronauts and said, uh, NASA's looking for more astronauts. Please apply. And actually, I answered the front page one ad in the L.A. Times. And, uh, and I applied and got selected in, uh, in April 66. My wife and I, little boy, my first kid, uh, we moved to Houston where I had 10 years as, as an astronaut. We had nine missions to the moon, uh, and I was fortunate enough to work on five of those, uh, either in mission control or as backup crew or flight. Uh, We uh, had uh, six landings on the moon uh, during that time, and uh, I was on number the fifth landing, and John Young and I, uh, well, you look at the record book, it has John Young longest on the moon, but I was right with him, so... uh, Anyway, we had the record uh, of longest time on the moon, and it was a great adventure and a great, uh, a great thrill. I, uh, I don't know how many mili- former military you have here, but uh, you know, a lot of people think as an astronaut you make millions of dollars uh, uh, as an astronaut. They pay you a big salary. Well, I was a lieutenant colonel when I went to the moon, and I got paid like every other lieutenant colonel. And... Uh, so it wasn't a big salary, but it was a good salary. And I, uh, most, this was now Vietnam days, and so most of my classmates were getting shot at over in Vietnam. And many of them ended up in uh, Hanoi Hilton or uh, 
uh, got killed. My roommate got killed on his very first, my roommate at flying school got killed on his first mission. So anyway, uh, I was a lieutenant colonel getting paid, uh, but a trip to the moon, believe it or not, is a little extra, a little extra pay. The military, if you're military, you know what I'm talking about. It's a uh, trip to the moon is TDY, temporary duty. And they pay you per diem when you go TDY. Uh, and uh, back in those days, it was $25 a day. And, uh, and I actually filled out a travel voucher for NASA that said uh, Houston, moon, uh, Kennedy, Kennedy, Moon, Moon, Pacific, Pacific, Houston. <laughs> and they, uh, and uh, so the moon part was 11 days, so that's 275 bucks. Well, uh, government quarters and meals were furnished, so they deducted that part. <laughs> and I said, how about a nickel a mile? And they said... No, we don't pay mileage. We furnish the transportation, too. So and NASA actually wrote me a check for $13.75. So that was my fortune from the uh, space program. Uh, after the space program, uh, I, uh, uh, it was not, let me say, it was not a spiritual experience. I didn't feel close to God. I wasn't searching for God. I didn't think I needed God anymore than I had in my life, which was Sunday morning. I was a real churchgoer. I'd been raised by a Christian mom, uh, my twin brother and me, uh, and uh, we went to church. I got baptized in a little Baptist church in South Carolina, uh, in uh, Paisley, South Carolina, when I was 11. Uh, Jesus, uh, I confessed to him as Lord of my life. I said the creeds. I'd always been in church. I knew there was a God. I knew Jesus was a historical figure, but he wasn't Lord of my life. And my, my uh, ascent to Jesus was Sunday morning, Sunday school and church. After that, I'm in charge of my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm pretty good at it. And so my career was really my God. Uh, it was before my family. It was before my uh, marriage. It was before God. My priorities were God, me, I mean, uh, career, me, wife, kids, God. Now, that's just the opposite of what it should be uh, in your life. But uh, I was going along really successful. And, but uh, in my career, military career, uh, I was a colonel with 13 years service. Uh, I got promoted to colonel as a result of the flight. And uh, so, I mean, I was rocking on all, uh, all cylinders. And, and yet there was something missing inside. It was, I couldn't get satisfied. And uh, as Gene uh, alluded, my marriage was falling apart, and uh, Dottie was on the verge of suicide. And, uh, but some people came to our church in 1975. Uh, we were going to the Episcopal Church in those days, and uh, they shared Jesus. They didn't share church. They didn't share uh, a doctrine. They just shared the love of Jesus, and they were different than we were. And, I mean, you could tell it. And they were all kind of folks, a plumber, uh, school teachers came, a banker, his wife. And it was called a Faith Alive. Just that weekend, they shared their little testimony. Let me tell you what happened to me. And that's really my theme for this morning is Acts 1.8. Jesus says, for you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. 
Now, some are called to be apostles, some are called to be prophets, some are called to be teachers, some are called to be whatever. All of these gifts that we have in the church, I'm not any of those. I haven't been called to be any of those. There's some people in here who have been called and been faithful to their ministry, their calling, but we've all been called to be a witness. Every one of us are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Shine for him in your character. Dick's talk about your character. And it's important. People see Jesus in us. As we go through life, as we do our business deals, as we uh, care for our family. Man, I had an explosive temper. I was a uh, military drill instructor dad. And I had two sons who were... When I landed on the moon, one was almost five, seven, six. No, one was almost five, and the other was just turned seven. And they knew they had a stern dad. And, man, if they didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do, instantly I was on their case. And uh, so you can imagine the tension at home with me with this explosive temper that I masked pretty well at work. Nobody knew at work. But let me tell you, my family knew I had an explosive temper. I mean, uncontrollable, like a volcano would go off at the slightest thing. And a critical spirit. I never did comp. I can't remember. Maybe if when I, I was their baseball coach in uh, Little League and soccer and all that stuff. And if they make a good shot, you know, add a boy. You know, but mostly it was a critical spirit. You know, you got to do, you didn't do this exactly right. This, you do this, do that. So anyway, that was the attitude in our uh, home. But after that weekend of... 1975, my wife said, uh, she tried everything, said I, but she hadn't tried Jesus. So she tried, said, Jesus, come into my heart. If you're not, if you're not God, I want to die. She prayed to die if God wasn't real. And there really is a God. And he loves us. He came into her heart. And I watched her change from sadness to joy over about a two-month period. And uh, I didn't, I mean, that, that message went, I, I mean, I love these people, but my focus was this new business. I, I was leaving NASA at the time, and there was this new business. Anyway, two and a half years later, uh, I got saved at a, um, a Bible study at T-Bar-M Tennis Ranch in New Braunfels, Texas. Strange place for a Bible study, but God showed up at the tennis club. And... Uh, and <laughs> And I got challenged, is this really true? If it's true, i got to commit to this. And so we all have a decision. God has given each person on earth a decision to make. Is it true? Is Jesus Lord of all? Is he your Savior? Or is he the biggest liar that ever walked? We get to decide. We all have a decision. God has given each of us a free will. You can believe and walk with Jesus for eternity, or you can reject it, and you can walk into eternity without God. It's your decision. And that was crystal clear to me that weekend. And so I gave my life to Jesus, and God began to change me. I had this insatiable desire to read the Bible, and I began to read the Bible. And not only did I begin to read the Bible, but I began to apply the Bible into my life. And I discovered that this book is the greatest handbook ever written. It's a handbook of life. 
Tim, you've got, I don't know how many airplanes you've flown, Dick. I don't know how many other pilots in here. Well, I've flown a lot of different military airplanes, a lot of commercial ones, and every one of them got a manual. You better read the manual or you're going to bust your rear in an airplane. So we read the manuals. You read your car manual. You read the washing machine manual. Well, this is God's manual for life. How to be a good husband. How to be a good businessman. How to be a good father. How to be a good whatever. God has a plan, and it's in here. So I began to apply this message into, into my life. And so, I mean, our lives, our marriage just began to change. Our boys came to the Lord, and about a year later, I got invited for the first time to share my story. It was in an Episcopal church in Kerrville, Texas, and I was to speak on stewardship, me. I mean, I tip God every Sunday, you know, five bucks here, five bucks there, you know, but now they're asking me to speak on stewardship. Well, what had happened over this last, this year is God began to deal with me about finances because he tells you what, what to be a good steward is. And so, I, you know, I kept praying, Lord, and I kept praying, hearing this tithe, 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 tithe. And uh, I made a lot of money when I sold this beer. I was in the beer business. And I sold, made a lot of money in the, when I sold out Coors Beer. And so, I mean, it's going to be a big check, uh, 10% of that. And uh, so I said, man, I don't know, Lord. So I, I went to Dottie and I said, uh, Dottie, why don't, God's speaking to me about what we should do about giving to the church. He said, would you pray and see what he tells you? And uh, a couple of weeks later, I, he, she came back and said, well, God spoke to my heart. And I said, what did he say? Tithe. <laughs> so we wrote that check. And when I wrote that check, I gave away the love of money. I didn't give away the money. I mean, I gave that part of the money, but God is blessed financially because it's his money, and if we do what he wants us to do with it, he called a rich man in the Bible to give it all away. And he disobeyed. He didn't want to do that. He hasn't called me to give it all away, but he wants me to be generous with the money that he has given me to be a good steward of it. And the more I give, it seems like the more he blesses. And so we began to, and it, this talk was about tithing. And tithing is not a big deal in the Episcopal Church, let me tell you. But, uh, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and so we, we started out. And uh, I get over to Mark in the 16th chapter, which is Mark's version of the Great uh, Commission. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out demons. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I said, I can do that. Now, I don't understand that snakes and the poison stuff, but, <clears throat> but I do understand the other. And so Dottie said, why don't we start go pray for the sick? I mean, we got a whole list of sick people in our church. So we went to the pastor and said, could we have the sick list? And so off we went. Uh, and in, in, a, in an attitude of, not an attitude of boldness, it wasn't an attitude, in fact, it was fear and trembling. Paul says in Corinthians, he said, I come, to, come before you in fear and trembling, not with wise and pervasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
That's what they saw in Paul. He wasn't a big orator. A big, he was a learned man. But it was the power of the Spirit. And so we get to this nursing home. And uh, the Lord, uh, uh, I open the car door. And as I'm walking in, I hear this little, it wasn't an audible voice. I cannot say I've heard the voice of God or the voice of, of Satan. But I heard it was, a, it was an impression that this is the dumbest thing you have ever done. Who do you think you are going to pray for this person? Who do you, what do you think is going to happen? Who are you to do this? What if nothing happens? What if he dies? And I almost turned around and got back in my car. But then the Lord spoke, the Holy Spirit, with an impression. First Timothy. I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. You go pray. And what, what happens is my responsibility, not yours. I call you to pray. So we went and laid hands on this guy. He's, he's, he was almost unconscious. Well, in a coma, he put his hand up on my hand. Tears started streaming down his, his, out of his... He never said a word. The next guy in the, other, in the other bed, he starts sobbing. Sobbing, sobbing. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. So we went and prayed for him. It turned out his name was Jordan. And that started a ministry. My wife started a ministry with this guy that had a story that he'd been ticked at the world since he was six years old. He was from a sharecropper family, and they had an old mule and a plow, and at six he was trying to plow the field, and his parents were on the, and the plow would fall over, and he could hardly pick it up at his size. And his daddy laughed at him, and his mother cursed him, and he said, I'm going to fix you. And so that was his attitude. Now he's 76 years old, still bitter. Took two months of loving this guy, and my wife led him to the Lord. Just loved him. Love. Love as Christ loved us. That's all he asked us to do. Love one another and be available. There's a... Uh, Little, we had a Bible study at our house uh, back in, you know, 25 years ago or so. And uh, there was a little spinster. Well, she's a big spinster lady. <laughs> but her, but her, her, she says, you know, God gives every one of us a little handful. And what he wants us to be is faithful to our handful. Your handful is totally different than my handful. You'll meet people I'll never get the chance to meet. You'll be in situations that I'll never be in. But God will put you in that situation, and that's in your handful. The problem with most of us as Christians, we look over and we get jealous at his handful. Oh, he's going to be a big preacher. He's going to be a big evangelist. Look at his handful. Me, I just got to go call on Jordan. If we're faithful, the kingdom of God gets spread. If we're faithful to our little handful. Daddy was faithful. This guy tried to commit suicide three or four times. 
God led him to the Lord. Uh, God brought him to the Lord through my wife. Two day, like a week later, he slipped and fell and got this big concussion, blank, blank, uh, blood clot, and died. And they didn't have a pot to pee in, he and his wife, so we paid for the funeral. Now, I don't, I'm not saying this to brag, but just out of compassion and love. Sheer. And so uh, that, was, uh, that was the beginning of, uh, of, a, of still today a ministry of going to call on the sick and to pray. I don't understand God, uh, the cast out demons part. Uh, you know, I'm Western mind, engineering thought. But when God led us into this ministry, it was uh, an eye opener, let me tell you. We don't do it much anymore because I think there's seasons of ministry. But God, it's, it's like being a pilot. You know, you got to land, you got to take off, you got weapons, you got spacecraft. I mean, you got to train in every area of ministry to be well rounded. And so uh, we were exposed to this because we ended up going to a lot of third world countries. And let me tell you, they believe in demons over there. I mean, they see it all the time. Well, anyway, we had this deliverance ministry that uh, God led us through, and I've seen some amazing things in that area. So all over the world, we began to go and uh, share. And we, we never once put out a newsletter. We never once put out a, uh, hey, I'm available to speak. The invitations just come. And I said, Lord, it was 30-something years now, and uh, 32 years next in, in April, and, and I said, God, if you still want us to do this, you got to send the invitations. We're not going out and beat on doors trying to get a place to speak. And the invitations keep coming. And we try to be faithful to, to these invitations. And all, I've been all over the world, I've, we've, we shared, we're not preachers. We don't teach. We just share, let me tell you what happened to me. And I just share my testimony. And they can't call me a liar. They might not receive it, but it's the, they know I'm speaking the truth. Now, they might reject the truth, but they have an opportunity to hear the truth about God's love and what God did in my life. Took away that spirit of anger, changed me from a critical spirit, gave me a love for my wife and my children. Uh, took away the love of money, all of these things that God began to change in my life. To be honest, guys, I didn't even really feel like a sinner when I came to Jesus. I mean, I knew I wasn't perfect, but I mean, everybody did what I was doing. You know, I was better than him. I didn't raped anybody. You know, I hadn't stolen anything. Maybe a few pencils from NASA, but uh, everybody does that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, so we, we've tried to continue to be faithful. I've, we've been in some very strange situations. I remember back in the 80s, I was uh, working recruiting service for the Air Force. I was a Brigadier General now. And uh, I got in a, mis a ministry to the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And... Uh, and the thought occurred to me and a couple other guys that if you read the Old Testament, God sent the prophet to the king, the top guy. And if he repented, 
the whole nation changed. Well, let's go to the top guy of the Sandinistas. And we started praying. And God led us to uh, Thomas Borges and uh, Daniel Ortega. So here's this brigadier general down there talking to our enemies. But the only thing that's going to change their heart, and we might kill them in militarily, but the, what's going to change their heart is Jesus. So I end up in the office of the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, General Jack Vesey, who was a fantastic Christian. And we spent 45 minutes. He said, what are you doing down there? I said, General, he says, God sent the prophet to the king, and us guys, we're just down there loving these guys and trying to lead them to Jesus, and we're, and, and, and we're having some inroads into, in, into some of these Sandinistas, and that's what we're doing. He said, let's pray. And so we prayed, and I was blessed, and off we went. And... Uh, <clears throat> So uh, the, uh, those are some of the things that we've done. I remember one time I was in Madame Gandhi's office, well, her outer office, and um, there was a guy sitting next to me. He was one of the, turned out one of the richest men in India. And he looked at me and said, what are y'all doing here? I said, well, we're Christians, and we're here to, God sent us over here to pray uh, for your nation. So he was really touched. He said, uh, would you come to my house tonight? I would like to entertain you and have some more further discussion. I said, we'd be happy to. So we went. I don't know if you have been to New Delhi or not, but uh, it's uh, uh, this, uh, imagine the, the rich man in Lazarus. The beggar laid at the gate of this rich man and the dogs licking his sores. Well, that's the kind of, outside his wall was the beggars and the, and the scum of the earth, if you will. I mean, that's what society looked at it. And you go through that gate, and there's this palace. Carpets like this, and the finest crystal and gold and silver. And we sit down with this guy, and uh, he says, he said, you're here to pray he said, I pray to my gods every day. I've got a temple out back of my house, and yet I don't have any peace. And I sense that you all have peace. Why do you have peace? And I said, Jesus is our peace. And, and, we, and we received Jesus and, uh, as our Lord, and we want to pray for you. And, and we told him about Jesus, and he, he prayed for him. And I can't say he paid the sinner's prayer, but he was really touched. And later on, I get a call from him. He's in the, in the hospital in Boston at Mass General with some disease. And he says, would you pray for me? And we pray for him. And God healed him. And he became a believer. And uh, a little Muslim boy came to live with us. He was an exchange student. And we loved him, loved him into the kingdom. He had his prayer rug in his, in his room, and he bowed down. I mean, he was a faithful Muslim. Up and down he went. And, uh, and so we'd take him to a full gospel businessman. We'd take him to Christian businessmen. We'd take him to church. And we did not to try to just to expose him and just to say, you know, we love you and God loves you, and this is what, 
this is how we worship God. And later on, he calls, goes back to Turkey. He gets aplastic anemia. This kid was, God's hand was on him, I'll tell you. And anyway, he ends up going to London, calls us up and said, pray for me, uh, Dad. He calls me Dad. And I prayed for him. And I said, Yetkin, I don't know whether God's going to heal you or not, but whatever happens, the important thing, do you know Jesus? He said, Dad, I know Jesus. So one by one, we can change the world. We can show the love of God into our life, into the light, into the world. It's sitting in darkness. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that light needs to be shown to the world through us. And God has an, a, a plan for you. You are his witnesses. One final story. Uh, this happened quite a while back, too. I was going to this big meeting, in, uh, Christian meeting in San Antonio one uh, evening. Car full of people. We'd driven down from New Braunfels, where we live. And I let them off, and I went to park. This is a big praise and worship service. Well, we're going to praise God. Well, sitting on the step of the side door of the church was this bum, this homeless, drunken bum. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't get from here to you, Rick. I mean, he stunk so bad. And, uh, he, and he's sitting there rocking back and forth. And he's got a big hole in his throat, and every time he breathes, this stuff comes out. And uh, he's drunk, and he's just unbelievable. And he's munching on a sandwich. God speaks to my heart. Go, sis, go tell him he lo- yeah, I love him. And uh, I said, God, I can't get close to him. I said, he at least stinks. I said, you know, it's just awful. He's drunk. Go tell him I love him. So finally I I sneak over a little bit and says, God loves you. He looks up and spits at me. I walk out and went around and went into the church. Couldn't get this guy off my mind. Two weeks later I'm there again. And he's sitting on the little wall around the church. Same guy. So I walk, and God speaks to my heart again. Go tell him I love him. And uh, I said, God, I had this big argument with God again. I said, God, I can't. I said, he stinks. He sleeps in his clothes. He's gone to the bathroom in his clothes. He, he's just a big mess. See, Jesus, it, it got, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. said, Jesus died for that guy. Go love him. I said, I can't. He said, you can't, but I can. But I need your feet. And I need your hands. And I need your voice. If you'll take me over there, we'll love him. Guys, I can't tell you the power of the love of God that filled me when I said, yes, Lord. And I went over there and embraced him, and I didn't see a stinking bum, but a guy that Jesus died for. And that started a 30-day ministry to Leroy. I got him in a halfway house that night. He ran off. I went down and looked for him, got him back in. 
I mean, it was a battle. Satan wanted him bad. About 30 days later, he'd sobered up, received Jesus, and he said, I want to go back to Fayetteville, Arkansas, which was his home. I bought him a bus ticket. I hadn't seen him since. I don't know what happened to him, but that experience showed me that nothing's impossible with God. But guys, he needs us. Your voice, your feet, your hands. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.